Hello, and welcome to How About a Story. I'm Isaura. For this holiday season, let's go on an adventure to a Victorian Christmas of long, long ago. Did you know that during the Victorian era, publishers of newspapers and magazines printed ghost stories during the Christmas season for chilly winter readings by the fireside or candlelight? It was a time of reflection as the days became longer and darker. People would gather and share tales of past winters, of deaths that occurred, of births and rebirths. Christmas was originally connected to the pagan winter solstice celebration and the festival known as Yule. The darkest day of the year was seen by many as a time when the dead would have particularly good access to the living. That was a quote from religious studies professor Justin Daniels, as stated in a University of Pennsylvania blog. So my friends, let's go ahead and gather around the fire. Warm your hands. Maybe go ahead and grab that glass off the counter and let's nestle up as we enter into Alfred McClellan's Burridge. World of Words. This is the Christmas telling of the game, Smee. If you are enjoying these stories, please take a moment to subscribe wherever you listen. It helps bring awareness about this podcast to others looking to break away from the daily grind and escape into an adventure of the mind. Thank you so much. And now let's get back to the story. No, said Jackson with a shy little smile. I'm sorry, I won't play hide and seek. It was Christmas Eve, and there were 14 of us in the house. We had a good dinner, and we were all in the mood for fun and games. All that is except Jackson. When somebody suggested hide-and-seek, there were loud shouts of agreement. Hide-and-seek? Oh, that's my favorite. Oh, come on. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Jackson's refusal was the only one. It was not like Jackson to refuse to play a game. Aren't you feeling well? Someone asked. I'm perfectly all right, thank you, he said. He added with a smile that softened his refusal, but did not change it. (sighs) I'm still not playing hide and seek. Well, why not, someone asked. He hesitated for a moment before replying. I sometimes go and stay at a house where a girl was killed. She was playing hide and seek in the dark. She didn't know the house very well, and there was a door that led to the servant's staircase. When she was chased, she thought the door led to a bedroom. She opened the door and jumped and just landed at the bottom of the stairs. She broke her neck, of course. We all looked serious. Miss Fernley said, Oh, how terrible. And were you there when it happened? Jackson shook his head. No, no, no. But I was there when something else happened. Something worse. Well, what could be worse than that? This was. He hesitated for a moment. Then he said, I wonder if any of you have ever played a game called Smee. It's much better than hide and seek. The name comes from it's me, of course. Perhaps you'd like to play it instead of hide and seek? Let me tell you the rules of the game. Every player is given a sheet of paper. All the sheets except one are blank. On the last sheet of paper, it's written Smee. Nobody knows who Smee is except Smee himself or herself. You turn off the lights and Smee goes out of the room and hides. 
After a time, the others go off in search of Smee, but of course, they don't know who they're looking for. When one player meets another, he challenges him by saying Smee, and the other player answers Smee, and they continue searching. But the real Smee doesn't answer when somebody challenges. The second player stays quietly beside him. Presently, they will be discovered by a third player. He will challenge and receive no answer, and he will join the first two. This goes on until all the players are in the same place. The last one to find Smee has to pay a forfeit. It's a good, noisy, and amusing game. In a big house, it often takes a long time for everybody to find Smee. Uh, well, perhaps you'd like to try. I'd happily pay my forfeit and sit here for a while while you play. It sounds a good game, I remarked. Have you played it too, Jackson? Yes, I played in the house that I was telling you about. Oh, and was she there? The girl who no, broke... No, 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 said someone else. He told us he wasn't there when she broke her neck. Jackson thought for a moment. I, I don't know if she was there or not. I'm afraid she was. I know that there were 13 of us playing the game, and then there were only 12 people in the house. And I didn't know the dead girl's name when I heard that whispered name in the dark. It didn't worry me. But I tell you... I'm never going to play that kind of game again. It made me quite nervous for a long time. I preferred to pay my forfeit at once. We all stared at him. His words did not make sense at all. Tim Boyce was the kindest man in the world. He smiled at all of us. This sounds like an interesting story. Come on, Jackson. You would tell it to us instead of paying a forfeit. <sighs> Very well, said Jackson, and here is his story. Have you met the Sangstons? They are cousins of mine and they live in Surrey. Five years ago, they invited me to go and spend Christmas with them. It was an old house with lots of unnecessary passages and staircases. A stranger could get lost quite easily. Well, I went down for that Christmas. Violet Stangston promised me that I knew most of the other guests. Unfortunately, I wouldn't get away from my job until Christmas Eve. All the other guests had arrived there the previous day. I was the last to arrive and I was only just in time for dinner. I said hello to everyone I knew and Violet Stangston introduced me to the people I didn't know. Then it was time to go into dinner. That is perhaps why I didn't hear the name of a tall, dark-haired, handsome girl whom I hadn't met before. Everyone was in rather a hurry, and I'm always bad at catching people's names. She looked cold and clever. She didn't look at all friendly, but she looked interesting, and I wondered who she was. I didn't ask because I was sure that someone would speak to her by name during the meal. Unluckily, however... I was a long way from her at the table. I was sitting next to Mrs. Gorman, and as usual, Mrs. Gorman was being very bright and amusing. Her conversation is always worth listening to, and I completely forgot to ask the name of the dark, proud girl. There were 12 of us, including the Sangstons themselves. We were all young, or trying to be young. Jack and Violet Sangston were the oldest, and their 17-year-old son, Reggie, was the youngest. It was Reggie who suggested Smee when the talk turned to games. 
He told us the rules of the game just as I described them to you. Jack Sangston warned us. Okay, here we go. If you're going to play games in the dark, please be careful of the back stairs on the first floor. A door leads to them, and I've often thought about taking the door off. In the dark, a stranger to the house could think they were walking into a room. A girl really did break her neck on those stairs. I asked how. It was about ten years ago, before we came here. There was a party and they were playing hide-and-seek. The girl was looking for somewhere to hide. She heard somebody coming and ran along the passageway to get away. She opened the door, thinking it led to a bedroom. She planned to hide in there until the seeker had gone. Fortunately, it was the door that led to the back stairs. She fell straight down to the bottom of the stairs. She was dead when they picked her up. We all promise to be careful. Mrs. Gorman even made a little joke about living to be 90. You see, none of us had known the poor girl, and we didn't want to feel sad on Christmas Eve. Well, we all started the game immediately after dinner. Young Reggie Sangston went round making sure all the lights were off, except the ones in the servants' room and in the sitting room where we were. We then prepared 12 sheets of paper. Eleven of them were blank, and one of them had Smee written on it. Reggie mixed them all up, then each one took one. The person who got the paper with Smee on it had to hide. I looked at mine and saw that it was blank. A moment later, all the electric lights were out. In the darkness, I heard someone moving very quietly to the door. And then after a minute, somebody blew a whistle. We all rushed to the door. <laughs> I had no idea who Smee was. For five or ten minutes, we were all rushing up and down the passages and in and out of rooms, challenging each other and answering, Smee. 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 After a while, the noise died down, and I guess that someone found Smee. After a time, I found a group of people all sitting on some narrow stairs. I challenged and received no answer. So, Smee was there. I hurriedly joined the group. Presently, two more players arrived, each one harrowing to avoid being last. So, Smee was there. Jack Sangston was last and was given a forfeit. Hmm, I think we're all here, he remarked. He lit a match, looked One, up the staircase, two, three, and four, began five, six, to count. Seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen. <laughs> oh, that's silly. That's one too many. <laughs> the match went out. And he lit another and began to count. He got as far as twelve, then he looked puzzled. There are thirteen people here. I haven't counted myself yet. <laughs> oh, nonsense. I laughed. You probably began with yourself, and now you want to count yourself twice. His son took out his electric torch. It gave a better light than the matches, and we all began to count. Of course, there were 12 of us. Jack laughed. <laughs> uh, well, I was sure I counted 13 twice. From halfway up the stairs, Violet Sangston spoke nervously. Uh, well... I thought there was somebody sitting two steps above me. Uh, have you moved, Captain Ransom? The captain said that he hadn't. 
but I thought there was somebody sitting between Mrs. Sangston and me. Just for a moment, there was an uncomfortable something in the air. A cold finger seemed to touch us all. For that moment, we all felt that something odd and unpleasant had just happened and was likely to happen again. (laughs) Then, we all laughed at ourselves and at each other, and we felt normal again. There were only 12 of us, and that was that. Still laughing, we all marched back to the sitting room to begin again. This time, I was me. Violet Stankson found me while I was searching for a hiding place. That game didn't last very long. Soon, there were 12 people and the game was over. Violet felt cold and wanted her jacket. Her husband went up to their bedroom and fetched it. As soon as he'd gone, Reggie touched me on the arm. He was looking pale and sick. Uh, quick, I've got to talk to you. Something horrible has happened. He went into the breakfast room. What's the matter? I asked. Uh, I don't know. You were, you were Smee last, right? Weren't you? Well, well, of course, I don't know who Smee was. Well, while Mother and the others ran to the west side of the house and found you, I went east. There's a deep closet cupboard in my bedroom. It looks like a good hiding place, and I don't know. I thought that perhaps Smee might be there. I opened the door in the dark and touched somebody's hand. Smee, I whispered, but there was no answer. I thought I found Smee. Well, I, I don't understand it, but I suddenly had a strained, cold feeling. I can't, I can't describe it, but I felt that something was wrong. So I turned my electric torch, and there was nobody there. Now, I'm sure, I'm sure I touched a hand, and nobody could get out of the cupboard because I was standing in the doorway. I don't know, what do you think? Will you imagine that you touched a hand? He gave a short <laughs> laugh. <laughs> oh no, I, I knew you'd say that. Of course I imagine it. It's the only explanation, isn't it? I agreed with him, but I could see he still felt shaken. Together we turned to the sitting room for another game of Smee. The others were all ready and waiting to start again. Perhaps it was my imagination, although I'm almost sure that it was not. But I had a feeling that nobody was really enjoying the game anymore. But everyone was too polite to mention it. All the same, I had the feeling that something was wrong. All the fun had gone out of the room, and something deep inside of me was trying to warn me. Take care, it whispered. Take care some unnatural, unhealthy influence at work in the house. What? Why did I feel this feeling? Because Jack Stankson had counted 13 people instead of 12? Because his son imagined he had touched someone's hand in an empty cupboard? (laughs) You know, I tried to laugh at myself, but I did not succeed. Well, we started again. While we were all chasing the unknown Smee, we were all noisy as ever. But it seemed to me that most of us were just acting. 
we were no longer enjoying the game. At first, I stayed with the others, but for several minutes, no Shmi was found. I left the main group and started searching on the first floor at the west side of the house. And there, while I was feeling my way along, I bumped into a pair of human knees. I put out my hand and touched a soft, heavy curtain. Then I knew where I was. There were tall, deep windows with window seats at the end of the passage. The curtains reached to the ground. Somebody was sitting in a corner of the window seat behind a curtain. Aha, uh-huh, I thought. I've caught Smee. So I pulled the curtain to one side and touched a woman's arm. It was a dark, moonless night outside. I couldn't see the woman sitting in the corner of the window seat. Shmi? There was no answer. When Shmi is challenged, he or she does not answer, so I sat down beside her to wait for the others. Then I whispered, What's your name? And out of the darkness beside me, the whisper came, Brenda Ford. I did not know the name, but I guessed at once who it was. I knew every girl in the house by name except one, and that was the tall, pale, dark girl. So here she was, and sitting beside me on the window seat, shut in between a heavy curtain and a window. I was beginning to enjoy the game. I wondered if she was enjoying it too. I whispered one or two rather ordinary questions to her and received no answer. Shmi is a game of silence. It is a rule of the game that Shmi and the person or persons who have found Shmi have to keep quiet. This, of course, makes it harder for others to find them, but there was nobody else about. I wondered, therefore, why she was insistent on silence. So I spoke again and got no answer. I began to feel a little annoyed. Perhaps she is one of those cold, clever girls who have a poor opinion of all men. I thought, she doesn't like me, and she's using the rules of the game as an excuse for not speaking. Well, if she doesn't like sitting with me here, I certainly don't want to sit with her. I turned away from her. I hope someone finds us soon, I thought. As I sat there, I realized that I disliked sitting beside this girl very much indeed. That was strange. The girl I had seen at dinner had seemed likable in a cold kind of way. I noticed her and wanted to know more about her, but now I feel very uncomfortable beside her. The feeling of something wrong, something unnatural was growing. I remember touching her arm and I trembled with horror. I wanted to jump up and run away. I prayed that someone else would come along soon. Just then I heard light footsteps in the passageway. Somebody on the other side of the curtain brushed against my knees. The curtain moved to one side and a woman's hand touched my shoulder. Shmi? whispered a voice that I recognized at once. It was Mrs. Gorman. Of course she received no answer. She came and sat down beside me, and at once I felt much better. It's Tony Jackson, isn't it? Yes. You're not Smee, are you? No, she's on my other side. She reached out across me, 
I heard a fingernail scratch a woman's silk dress. Hello, Smee. How are you? Well, well, who are you? Oh, is it against the rules to talk? Never mind. Tony will break the rules. Ah, uh, you know, Tony, this game is beginning to annoy me a little. I hope they aren't going to play all evening. I'd like to play a nice, quiet game altogether besides a warm fire. Uh, me too. I agreed. Oh, can you suggest something to them? There's something rather unhealthy about this particular game. I'm sure I'm being very silly, but I can't get rid of the idea that we've got an extra player. Uh, somebody who ought not be here at all. That was exactly how I felt. But I didn't say so. However, I felt very much better. Mrs. Gorman's arrival had chased away my fears. We sat talking. I wonder when the others will find us. After a time, we heard the sound of feet and young Reggie's voice shouting. Hello, is anybody there? Yes, is, uh, is Mrs. Gorman with you? Yes, I answered. What happened to you? You've both got forfeits. We've all been waiting for you for hours. But you haven't found Smee yet. I complained. You haven't, you mean. I was Smee this time. But Smee is here with us. Uh, yes, agreed Mrs. Gorman. The curtain was pulled back, and we sat looking into the eye of Reggie's electric torch. I looked at Mrs. Gorman, and then on my other side, between me and the wall was an empty place on the window seat. I stood up at once. Then I sat back down. I I was feeling very sick and the world seemed to be going round and round and round. There was somebody there. I insisted because I touched her. And so did I. And I don't think anyone could leave this window seat without us knowing. Reggie gave a shaky little <laughs> laugh. I remember his unpleasant experience earlier that evening. Well, someone's been playing jokes. Are you coming down? We were not very popular when we came down to the sitting room. Well, I found them two sitting behind a curtain and a window seat. I went up to the tall, dark girl. So you pretended to be Smee and then went away? I accused her, and she shook her head. Afterwards, we were all playing cards in the sitting room, and I was very glad. Sometime later, Jack Sankson wanted to talk to me. I could see that he was rather cross with me, and soon he told me the reason. <clears throat> Tony, I suppose you are in love with Mrs. Gorman. That's your business. But please don't make love to her in my house during a game. You kept everyone waiting. It was very rude of you, and I'm ashamed of you. But we were not alone, I protested. There was somebody else there. Somebody was pretending to be Smee. I believe it was that tall, dark girl, Miss Ford. She whispered her name to me. Of course, she refused to admit it afterwards. Jack Sangston stared at me. Miss who? He breathed. Brenda Ford, she said. Just then, Jack put a hand on my shoulder. Look here, Tony. 
I don't mind a joke, but enough is enough. We don't want to worry the ladies. Brenda Ford is the name of the girl who broke her neck on the stairs. She was playing hide-and-seek here ten years ago. That was Smee by Alfred McClellan Brage. Okay, everybody, I'm currently working on season four of How About a Story, so keep an ear out for new episodes dropping in February or March of 2021. Ooh, ooh, ooh. I'm super excited of the plan for the next season. I'll fill you guys in with a little pop-in additions before then. Thank you so much for listening, everybody. This podcast was performed, hosted, edited, and produced by me, Isaura Venegas. Until next time, my friends, may your holidays be filled with love, light, happiness, and a bit of fright. Until next time, my friends, what stories will you be getting into? Mm-hmm.